With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks for listening to the Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. Now let's get this party started. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, where 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. And it's never a good look when you untuck a long, bulky dress shirt. That's why Untuck It makes shirts specifically designed to be worn untucked. Go to untuckit.com to see the new fall arrivals. Untuckit.com, your solution to perfecting casual. Use promo code CLAY. That's C-L-A-Y for 20% savings. What a win for the Dallas Cowboys. I believe the Cowboys put up the best defensive performance of the year and one of the best defensive performances when you consider the quality of the offensive opponent they were playing against that we have seen in years. Here's a crazy stat for you. Uh, This is a uh, third time in the last 30 years A team predicted by Vegas to score over 30 points was held to 10 points or fewer. Happened in 1992 with the Bills versus the Dolphins. Back in the day with Thurman Thomas, Jim Kelly, and Andre Reid, that Bills dynasty team that never could win the Super Bowl. Happened in 2000 with the Rams versus the Panthers. That was the greatest show on turf, I believe, uh, era Rams team, Kurt Warner, Marshall Falk, all of the Isaac Bruce, all of those teams, and it happened last night. A couple of other stats that blew my mind. Um, Dak Prescott managed to survive this game. Managed to survive. I don't know what is going on with Dak Prescott's inability to hang on to the football in the pocket. He now has, I believe, 11 fumbles 
which by far is the lead in the NFL. At times he was dialed in last night, but he almost gave away this game too. Here was, if you missed it last night or you went to bed before the game ended, here was the last turnover for the Dallas Cowboys when it looked like they were trying to put this game away. They're up 13-10. Dak drops back to pass, and it sounds like this. Prescott in the gun has two receivers right. He drops back. He looks. He's under pressure. He's hit from behind, and a flag comes in. There's a fumble on the play. The Saints have the ball. Saints ball. That is the Saints radio network, obviously. At that point in time, I was watching, you were watching, everybody thought with the Cowboys only leading 13-10 and Drew Brees getting the ball back with a little bit over two minutes to play, had a timeout, had the two-minute warning, you thought to yourself, there's no way that the Cowboys are going to be able to stand up and hold the New Orleans Saints again, and then this happened. Breeze back under pressure. The ball's intercepted. Jordan Lewis at the 22. Jordan Lewis intercepted Drew Breeze. That is the Cowboys radio network. So a couple of things on top of that that I want to hit. The New Orleans Saints were held to 176 total yards. Drew Brees, who has been in the midst of the greatest season for a passing quarterback in, frankly, NFL history. He came in with the highest uh, completion percentage and the highest overall QBR. He went for only 127 yards, an average of 4.5 yards per pass, one touchdown, one interception. Dak Prescott, he was pretty electric, 24 for 28 when he was passing, but again, those turnovers. Also, you can't talk about this game without discussing the atrocious officiating. This was an ugly, ugly performance for the NFL from an officiating perspective just in the fourth quarter. We had a brutal helmet-to-helmet miss on Alvin Kamara, which was as bad of a helmet-to-helmet hit as you will ever see. The officials totally missed it. We had a blatant face mask. Dak Prescott nearly got his uh, helmet yanked off uh, late in this game. Now, to be fair, they got one later uh, that gave the Cowboys a first down, so the impact of that play wasn't that great. You had the officials totally miss a first down with Cole Beasley when he was at least a yard and a half short on a huge third down play, and the New Orleans Saints had already used up all their challenges, so Sean Payton couldn't throw the challenge flag. You also had the Cowboys overcoming the stupidity of Randy Gregory as good as they were defensively in holding the New Orleans Saints to 178 total yards. If Randy Gregory in punt safe doesn't run into the punter, I mean, and it was a brutal roughing the punter play, then I don't know that the New Orleans Saints ever score a touchdown to begin with. That's how they ended up hitting on their 30-yard touchdown pass was as a gift from the Dallas Cowboys. Then Gregory later lined up offsides in a play, frankly, that I don't think you could have made if you were uh, the official. I don't think you could have thrown the flag there because I didn't think it was a blatant offsides. But at the same time, if you're Randy Gregory, I think you almost would have had to gotten cut if you had lost this game and you're the Dallas Cowboys. I don't know how you keep that guy on the football team, given the way that he was performing. But, look, the Dallas Cowboys were left for dead. I left them for dead. You left them for dead. Everybody did. 
in the wake of their Monday night football 28-14 to loss to the Tennessee Titans. And since that time, they have won, I believe, four straight games. And they're now sitting at 7-5. and five. It's not like the Cowboys look like the greatest team in the history of the NFL. But they are now sitting at 7-5. and five. They have a very good chance, if you look at their schedule right now, to make a big-time statement game this weekend against Sunday coming up uh, in another week, right, against the Philadelphia Eagles. They win that game. They take a stranglehold, potentially, on the NFC East. Colts come to town, or they go to the Colts. That'll be a tough game. Then the Bucks come to town. That's a win. And the Cowboys finish on the road against the Giants. It's hard to see how the Cowboys do worse than 2-2. Two and two. It's hard to see how they do worse than 2-2. Two and two. They should beat the Bucks and they should beat the Giants. If they can win one of two against either the Colts or the Eagles, then the Cowboys are going to be into the playoffs and they'll be hosting a home playoff game. And uh, Cowboy fans have to be ecstatic. I mean, just absolutely ecstatic beyond measure with how well things uh, are looking for the Dallas Cowboys. Now, for the New Orleans Saints who entered this game as the overall favorite to win the Super Bowl, couple of glaring flaws that I think could be issues. One is there was not a lot of time for Drew Brees to throw the football. That offensive line got beaten up by the Dallas Cowboy defensive line. The other thing was... It did not appear to me that the New Orleans Saints receivers were creating any space at all against the Dallas Cowboys secondary. That's a little bit ominous. That's one of the moves they made when they went and got Des Bryant. Other than Michael Thomas, Drew Brees is throwing to a lot of guys who are very unaccomplished. And so if you watch this game, the windows that Drew Brees had to throw, there were not the wide open receivers that we've gotten used to down the stretch of the season, do the Saints have enough receivers with game-breaking ability who can create space? Michael Thomas has been phenomenal, but if somebody has a lockdown secondary and can get some pressure on the quarterback, maybe this Saints offense, which right now coming into this game was the third best offense in the history of the NFL, averaging over 37 points per game, maybe it's possible that the Saints are not the juggernaut that we necessarily thought they were coming into this game. Now, I just ran through the Cowboys' remaining four games. The Saints go on the road against the Bucks on uh, and Sunday, a week from this weekend. That should be a win. And then they still get the Panthers twice, and they have the Steelers in New Orleans. I still think there's a good chance that the Saints can bounce back from this performance and close out with four straight wins, which means in the race for the number one overall seed in the playoffs, it will be intriguing to see whether or not the Rams are capable of closing out this uh, this season with a uh, perfect run, right? The Rams still have five games left. They've got the Lions, if you're kind of keeping score, should be a win for the Rams. Then they go on the road against the Bears and what will be a massive, tough game. Then they go, uh, they host the Eagles. Then they go on the road against the Cardinals. Then they get the 49ers. So by the time the Rams get to the last two games of the season, to me, this season, in terms of who has overall home field advantage in the NFC, likely, likely to come down to how the Rams are able to do 
in two weeks on the road against the Bears. That's really the only game remaining that I see. And remember, the Saints would still have the tie break because they beat the Rams head-to-head. So if both the teams finished 14-2, and the Rams would uh, would be the uh, the winner there. If the Rams got to 15-1, and the Rams know now if they win their last five, the road to the Super Bowl would run through L.A. So those are the big takeaways from what was an epic night, a battle royale, one of the biggest wins we have seen for the Dallas Cowboys in a very long time. I still think there are questions about whether or not you can buy in to Dak Prescott. I think at his worst, there is an argument that Dak Prescott is Blake Bortles' a little bit younger version. I think there is an argument that the Cowboys and Dak Prescott have a lot of Blake Bortles going on with them. But in the wake of that win, if you are a Cowboy fan, you got to be ecstatic about what you saw from your team. We'll talk about this. We have got a loaded show, by the way. Let me go ahead and give you a rundown. If you're listening on a podcast or you're planning out your morning, we're going to talk with my guy Lance Taylor. Uh, he's down in Alabama. we got the big Alabama-Georgia game going on, SEC title game uh, tomorrow. We'll talk about that with him in hour two. Barry Odom, uh, Missouri football coach, will join us. He's one of the only coaches in America who has coached against both Alabama and Georgia. How would he break down that matchup? What does he think of the overall playoff picture? What does he think of his own quarterback, Drew Locke? How good could he be in the NFL? We'll discuss all that and more with uh, Barry Odom. And then in hour three, Joel Klatt, he's calling the Big Ten title game for Fox. He'll join us live from Indianapolis and will be joined by... Former ESPN employee Darren Ravel, who is leaving to join the Action Network. This is his final day at ESPN. What does he think about the uh, legalization of sports gambling? How is everything changing for him? We will talk with Darren Ravel. Loaded show for you. That is where we are headed. I appreciate all the time that you guys are spending with us. I hope all of you are having a fantastic Friday. And I got to tell you, you're probably not brushing your teeth correctly. Did you know a lot of people brush too hard? Some uh, use electric toothbrushes that are too abrasive. Most of us don't effectively brush our teeth. That's why 90% of you, in fact, are not brushing for a full two minutes. You're not brushing your teeth correctly. That's why you need to go to Quip. Quip doesn't require a clunky charger, runs for three months on one charge, brush heads automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule every three months for just five bucks. Three out of four of you use bristles that are old, worn out, and ineffective. Quip is the first electric toothbrush accepted by the American Dental Association and has thousands of verified five-star reviews. I use it. I love it. You'll use it. You'll love it too. That's why I love Quip and why they're backed by over 20,000 dental professionals. Quip starts at just 25 bucks. If you go to getquip.com slash clay, you get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first feet refill pack free at getquip slash clay. That's G-E-T-Q-U-I-P slash clay. G-E-T-Q-U-I-P slash C-L-A-Y. Getquip.com slash clay today. Ah, Christmas music. Adam Sandler bringing us back. Uh, we ought to just use that song every break for the next month. Uh, welcome back, Geico Outkick Studios. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like Dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want. 
so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. We are joined now by Lance Taylor at the Lance Taylor on Twitter. Uh, he is at 94.5 Jocks down in Birmingham. I believe he is headed into Atlanta as I am uh, later today to get ready for the uh, the game between Georgia and Alabama. And uh, LT, it seems like there's not even anybody arguing this anymore. But do you believe Alabama, barring an injury to Tua or something crazy that happens that changes the overall caliber of this Alabama football team, is already in the playoff and Georgia has to win to get in? Does that make sense? Yeah, you know, one of my radio partners, he doesn't believe if Alabama loses, they're going to get in. I just, you know, if you're doing your job, and again, people are going to say Alabama always gets the benefit of the doubt, and it does seem, Clay, that Alabama always does have the break go their way to put them in position to win another national championship. But if you are doing your job as a committee member and you've got to put the four best teams in, Alabama's one of the best teams. They've been the best team, the most dominant team for 12 games. And if they lose to number four Georgia, um, you know, obviously, I think right now, I don't know how you feel, I think it's Alabama, Clemson, Georgia's number three, third best team in college football, although Notre Dame's undefeated. So if you lose to what is viewed as the third best team in college football in a championship setting, and you have dominated for 12 consecutive games, and we saw what Alabama did once they were in the playoff last year, you got to put them in. Yeah, I agree. And, and frankly, it really doesn't matter whether you're the one, the two, the three, or the four in the college football playoff right now. Alabama was the four last year playing against Clemson. And uh, it, it just uh, that's one of the flaws I would say that exists now for the college football playoff. I would bet you agree with me. It doesn't really matter what seed you are. Uh, I guarantee you if Nick Saban had the opportunity to pick, he would rather pick his matchup than pick his seed. And I think of the six teams that are in the mix right now, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Alabama, uh, Clemson, Notre Dame, and Georgia. I think that Nick Saban would love the most to play Notre Dame. Would you agree with me that that of those six, there's no doubt that they would be the weakest or the best matchup for Alabama? You know, a thousand percent after watching that game last Saturday night in the Coliseum where USC had every opportunity to beat Notre Dame. And obviously this is a USC team where Clay Helton was on a hot seat. They missed a bowl game. They had their worst season in 18 years, going 5-7. and seven. Um, Notre Dame, you know, survived Ball State and Vanderbilt by one possession. And I know that was back when Brandon Wimbush was under, under center, but in, it's a different, more dynamic offense with Dexter Williams and Ian Book. But I still don't think Notre Dame is a team that can actually play with the Alabama, the Clemsons, and the, the Georgias of the world right now. I just don't see it. But I will what? disagree with you on something. You, you've got six teams there, and I think this is really interesting to look at. If Oklahoma gets beat by Texas, if Texas wins um, the rematch and sweeps Oklahoma, and somehow Northwestern beat Ohio State, and Georgia loses to Alabama, I don't know how Central Florida doesn't get in. I think it's because of the McKenzie Milton injury. I think well, that's, I, I the, get, that's the excuse they would be able to use. Because I, I actually think Central Florida is going to lose to Memphis this weekend. So I, I, I think that game could uh, could definitely hit them. Um, I, I think that'll be it, the excuse the committee uses. No, I get that. But the only reason I say this, because think about it like this. It, who do you think the fourth team would be if Oklahoma, Georgia? Georgia. Okay, but here would be the problem. You would have to make Georgia, yeah, you'd have to make Georgia the fourth seed. And, and do you think coming off a loss – I mean, can you imagine Georgia with two losses? And, and just imagine this. Let's say the Alabama wins this game by 20. So Georgia would have two 20-point losses on their resume. You've got a team that's won 26 games if Central Florida does beat Memphis. Um, I, I just think this would be an easy way, even with a Milton injury, to put this team in and, sh- and just shut everybody up. 
I also think Alabama would infinitely love that much more, right? Oh. And I certainly think there are a lot of people, myself included, who would say, I don't want to watch an immediate rematch uh, between Alabama and Georgia after I just saw them play in the SEC title game, unless it's an incredible classic game and we think, oh my God, what could happen the next time these two teams play? But again, I, I really don't see that necessarily. How are you gambling on this game with Alabama as around a 13 or 13 and a half point favorite? Well, you look at Bama, they've won their last five, or I should say they've covered their last five outings, including the 31 point win against Auburn. Um, I, it's a lot of points. Um, you butchered this on Lock It In. You said, you know, the first team since Harvard in 1888, and then you corrected yeah. yourself with Yale, but. I mean, it, it that is, is an unbelievable stat, by the way. It, but let me clear it up here for people out who may not have heard this. Alabama is the first team since Yale in 1888 to beat all 12 opponents by 20 or more points. I mean, that's unbelievable. I think it's even better that it's Yale in 1888 than if no team had ever done it before, don't you? Because it actually brings home how absurd it is even more so. By the way, that Yale team in their 13th game only beat Princeton 10 to nothing, but that was before the forward pass existed. Yeah, well, in, in, this is insane, too. And I, I, We're in a place in college football with Nick Saban and what Alabama's doing. That I think you would agree we'll ne- never see this again. I've thrown this number out before, and it really upsets Auburn fans. Because in, you'll be blown away with this. Auburn has not had back-to-back 10-win seasons since 1988. It's been 30 years. Wow. wow. And with a win on Saturday, Alabama would have their fourth consecutive 13-win-plus season. Yeah, it's remarkable. I mean, it's absolutely remarkable. Um, and and the, the East hasn't come close. I don't know if this is a humble brag, Clay, or if this is a sad indictment on me personally, but Alabama's not lost to an East opponent since October 9th of 2010, my girlfriend was a freshman in college. I mean, that's how long it has been since a East opponent has beaten Alabama. And you are not 28. Um, all right, so uh, when you think about this from an Alabama perspective, do you pick up on Alabama fans not traveling to the SEC title game with as much enthusiasm? So I'm kind of trying to think about what the breakdown of the uh, the crowd in Atlanta will be. We know Georgia fans are still ecstatic about being in the SEC title game. This is a huge game for them. It's a playoff uh, game effectively for Georgia if they win their end to the playoff. Do you expect that Georgia will have a substantial home field advantage because Bama fans are just a little bit over all of the big games they've had to travel for? Maybe some Bama fans are saving up for trips to either Dallas or Miami and then the national title game would be all the way out in San Francisco or do you expect Bama to show up in abundance? Um, I think they'll show up. It's amazing. They continue to cough up money. And, you know, every year they're in this situation. Obviously, they won the SEC championship game last year. And, you know, last year was an interesting year for Georgia because they had an opportunity in the rematch against Auburn. They knew if they win, they were in. And they hadn't won a national championship since 1980. So they showed up. I would say last year the, the Dome was probably 70-30 Georgia over Auburn. Yeah. And I think this year is probably going to be a 50-50 split. It's amazing, Clay. Uh, talking to some people in the hotel industry last night, there's still a lot of rooms available. And this is, though the ticket is really, really pricey. I mean, a get-in's like 250 You look at a get-in to the Pac-12 championship game tonight with Utah-Washington, it's like 15 bucks, And you're still looking at the $250 get-in. So uh, Alabama fans, I don't think they really believe they can lose this game. I don't think Georgia fans believe they can win it. So yeah. it's, it's, it's kind of an interesting dynamic. 
It's interesting you said that about the hotels in Atlanta because they emailed me and they were like, hey, we're upgrading you to a suite. I was like, oh, that's awesome. And then I thought, oh, it's because nobody is staying in hotels because Georgia people can all drive and Alabama people can all drive. And that helps defray the cost of what's a really expensive ticket. If you can drive in, you don't have to worry as much about what you have to pay for hotel rooms for the whole weekend. Uh, all right, let's uh, let's go into the other games. You just mentioned the Pac-12. It's going on tonight. What's going on with the Pac-12? Have they are they even at this point in time a legitimate member of the Big Five conference? Because I feel like the Pac-12 has fallen off substantially behind the SEC, the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Big Twelve. Do you get that sense too? Yeah, I really do, and and I don't know what the excuse would be. I thought when Chris Peterson took this job over at Washington, and you know, there's a good chance they won another Pac-12 championship under him. Their second in three years. But I thought it would be a consensus top 10 program. And if you go back to week one against Auburn, if they would have won that game, gotten a break here or there, maybe things would have been different for a 9-3 and Husky squad. But even when Washington State only had the one loss going into the Apple Cup last Friday night, nobody believed they could get into this college football playoff because there's just no credibility when it comes to the Pac-12. And not only does it blow me away that Washington is not a little bit better, especially Jake Browning's senior season, but where USC is. And, you know, with Sam Darnold a couple of years ago winning a Rose Bowl, they were probably one of the top two or three teams at the end of the season. And then last year, I thought it was a little underwhelming winning a Pac-12 championship. And this year, they were just flat out bad. I don't know what's going on with the Pac-12. doesn't make a lot of sense. They've got the worst network out there, which you can't find anywhere in the Pac-12 network. And it's just not a great product. It really isn't. Um, of all the college football games that are going on this weekend in the conference title games, are you in agreement with me? That if you had a magic wand and you could eliminate conference title game weekend and replace it with an eight-team playoff with four home games uh, on campus, we could have. You were talking about UCF, if, if everything kind of fell apart, whether they still have a chance getting in the playoff. LT, we could have this as our eight-team playoff right now in college football if we just use the standings that the college football playoff committee has put out. You could have number one, Bama, against number eight, UCF. You could have number two, Clemson, against number seven, Michigan. You could have number three, Notre Dame, against number six, uh, Ohio State. You could have number four, Georgia, against number five, Oklahoma. And you could have games being hosted in this either this weekend or next weekend, probably next weekend, in Tuscaloosa with Alabama, in, uh, in, De- in Death Valley with Clemson, in uh, South Bend with Notre Dame, and in Athens with Georgia. Tell me that wouldn't be a college football fans about as good as it gets. Why shouldn't that happen instead of conference title game weekend? It should happen, and it's really simple. You know, the model that that I've talked about, I think some other people have talked about, go on and let your Power 5 conference champions, um, you know, let those teams in and then have three wild cards. But I would much rather see the four games you're talking about than championship weekend. And look, and I enjoy championship weekend, but to have that electricity on those campuses and those atmospheres, would be incredible. And I know you pay close attention to television contracts. You know, and the word is until the SEC um, will get past having an SEC championship game and the money that brings in. But I've always said this. Can you imagine how much more money would be brought in? You're talking about two SEC teams hosting um, this round, if you're talking about Tuscaloosa yeah. and Athens. So the money's got to be that much more than what you would get out of this one SEC championship game. Yeah, there's no doubt at all. Uh, all right, let's leave. Uh, well, what's, first of all, what's your favorite gambling picks of title game weekend? Are there things that you love in college football this weekend? 
Yeah, I mean, I think Oklahoma in the rematch, I just think way too much offense for this Texas team. So I think Oklahoma's going to roll. I think they're going to make a statement. Ultimately, they're going to get in the college football playoff. Again, I would love the chaos. I would love to see. And, and I do think Northwestern can actually scratch and claw and keep it a little closer than 14 and a half. Um, but I don't think they're going to beat Ohio State. But I would love to see chaos. But right now, I think Oklahoma wins that game. I think Fresno State in a rematch in the Mountain West. I think they'll take care of Boise State. I think they're a better, more complete team. Um, and then tonight, I think Utah, actually with a backup quarterback, I think they can keep it close with Washington. All right, let's go to what happened last night, Thursday night football, really incredible game between the Saints and the Cowboys. Who should be more excited, Cowboy fans or who should be more nervous, Saint fans? What did we learn last night in your impression? Well, as a Rams fan, I'm the most excited because the Rams needed the Saints to lose a game. I was in New Orleans a couple of weeks ago for that Rams-Saints game. I don't want the Rams going back there. That's a really decisive home advantage in that Superdome. Uh, but I think when you look at the Cowboys and you look at this defense, uh, I mean, four consecutive wins when they were sitting there with three wins, uh, three and five, we thought, you know, when is Jason Garrett finally going to be fired? But you look at the defense and how dominant they were last night to shut out the Saints. Uh, first time in 72 games they've been shut out in the first half to limit Drew Brees in this offense to 14 first downs and 176 total yards. You know, going into the game, people said, oh, look, this will end the streak. The Cowboys haven't given up more than 28 the entire season. You look at this juggernaut offense from the Saints. They're scoring 30-plus every game. And to hold them to 10 points was was amazing. So I think if I'm a Cowboy fan, I'm really excited. And I think it shows you how good the NFC is right now. You know, again, being a Rams fan, if you navigate your way through the NFC playoffs um, and you find yourself in Atlanta in February, you've earned it because – the Cowboys, they're clicking right now. The Seahawks are clicking. Obviously, the Rams and the Saints are where they are. Um, I still am not going to count Carolina out, although they've lost three consecutive games. But if Cam Newton gets it going, watch out. Uh, right now, the NFC is, is difficult. I don't think there's any doubt. By the way, if the Rams make the Super Bowl, will you buy a Super Bowl ticket? Yeah, I will. I've only I've, I've been to five Super Bowls. I've only purchased two tickets. I've gotten lucky the three other Super Bowl trips. But if I have to buy a ticket in Atlanta, I will buy a ticket. What I'm, what I'm praying for, Clay, is it's always about the matchup there and the fan bases. I want Rams-Chargers because nobody will show up and it'll be a $1,000 ticket. Yeah, the Chargers have no fans. That's a great point. Um, all right, let's look ahead to, uh, to the weekend in the NFL. Um, obviously, as we're coming down the stretch, everybody playing their 12th game. We saw last night massive win for the Cowboys over the Saints. There are a couple of games that I think are, are instrumental. If I had to pick them and point to them, as big-time kind of statement games. Vikings going on the road against the Patriots. The lines come down to five, Patriots by five. Chargers going on the road against the Steelers. What happens in those two games in terms of helping to set the playoff picture in your mind? You know, it's hard to trust Kirk Cousins, uh, really in any setting, much less going to Foxborough and taking on Tom Brady, but I kind of like Minnesota in this spot. Um, and I think they're about to start rolling. You know, that's one of those teams I didn't even mention when we talked about the NFC, and I know you had them in your Super Bowl before the season started. I still think they've got a ton of talent, so I think they'll keep it close, and if you're giving me four and a half or five, I know this number opened at seven and a half. I'm going to take the Vikings in that spot, and I'll take another road team. You mentioned the Chargers. I think they're better than the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and I know a lot of people are saying Pittsburgh coming off that loss to Denver where that was my biggest game last weekend was the Denver Broncos, um, and it took a lot of breaks to actually – get that home, but I think Pittsburgh loses back-to-back games here. I like the Chargers on the road. The way Phillip Rivers is playing right now, and looking, that's two elite quarterbacks, but I'll take Rivers on the road here, and I'll take the Chargers, and I'm catching more than a field goal. 
when you saw Hugh Jackson and the way the Browns responded to him, this was a big debate all week, and I don't think I talked to you about it. Did you also think it was crazy that Hugh Jackson, who got fired, and I've never seen it happen before in the NFL. I'm not sure I've seen it happen before in pro sports, where a guy who gets fired by a team during the season goes and ends up coaching against them later in the season. And when Hugh Jackson got the ball handed to him uh, after the interception by one of his former players, I thought that was as low as I've seen a coach in the NFL. Yeah, I would agree. I think you did the comparison to Ned Stark. <laughs> yeah. Getting, getting decapitated in Game of Thrones. And really, that is – it was uncomfortable to watch. It really was. And then it was even more uncomfortable in post-game when he tries to seek out and finally finds Baker Mayfield. And then you saw how Mayfield – I mean, this is a rookie quarterback, and Hugh Jackson's been in the league a long time. And look, I'm not saying he deserves respect as a head coach, uh, and it's obviously a weird look. And look, he's a millionaire and whatever, but, you know, he's – still trying to keep involved in the NFL, and I thought it was strange that Marvin Lewis offered him a job, but they've got a friendship, and he's got to make a living, and he chose to go over there. And I know people have made the argument Baker Mayfield transferred. So what's the difference? I know there is a little difference when you start to break that down, but I, I just thought the whole thing was a terrible look. Um, and, and Hugh Jackson, that's got to be a low point. Uh, are you coming to Atlanta, or are you deciding to tap out? No, I'm going to be there. I'm just – I don't know what I'm doing for the game yet. So, I plan on uh, meeting up with you tonight, going to dinner. Uh, this is my favorite weekend of the year. I don't – it just doesn't have the buzz. It, is it not crazy? We're talking about a top-four matchup where the winner of this is obviously in. And if Alabama loses, you've got two SECs in again. It just doesn't have the feel of some of these other SEC championship games. I feel like – how much different do you think it would be if L, if uh, Georgia hadn't lost to LSU? Would it feel That's different it. if both these teams yeah. were 12-0? and 0? Yeah, it would be because, you know, obviously we saw this matchup about 11 months ago and Georgia had a 13-0 lead at halftime. And if Tua doesn't come in, I think we all agree if Jalen Hurts continues to play the final 30 minutes, uh, Georgia wins their first national championship since 1980. Um, So I think people would be excited about seeing this rematch because that was a tremendous game that goes to overtime. But because Georgia got so humbled when they went to Baton Rouge and lost that game by 20, and we're talking about, you know, arguably if if Alabama is able to close this deal and win three more consecutive games against – you know, Georgia, Notre Dame, and then probably Clemson, we're going to circle them as maybe the best team in college football history. So it's just hard to believe right now um, an Alabama team that's 14-point favorite is going to lose this game. But I, I do agree with you. If Georgia would have gone into LSU and won that game, this number is probably more 8.5 or 9, and I think there's a lot more excitement. No doubt at all. See you later tonight. That's Lance Taylor at the Lance Taylor uh, on Jocks 94.5 in Birmingham. Uh, let me go ahead and bring in out Ralph Irvin, find out what's shaking in the world of sports. Thank you very much, Clay. And it was quite the night for the Dallas Cowboys on Thursday Night Football. They take out New Orleans 13-10. Dallas held the Saints to just 176 yards of total offense, snapping that New Orleans 10-game win streak. By the way, Cowboys have won four straight. In tonight's Discover Card Key matchup, the Anaheim Ducks are in Raleigh to take on the Carolina Hurricanes. That's at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Speaking of matchups, become a new card member and Discover Card will match all the cash back you've earned dollar for dollar at the end of your first year. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations apply. A trio of games Thursday night in the NBA, including the league's top team. That would be the Toronto Raptors winning in overtime over Golden State 131-128. 
Toronto's won seven straight. Kawhi Leonard had 37 points while pulling down eight rebounds. The Clippers are the top team in the West. They won again over Sacramento, 133-121. LA has won four straight. The Lakers snapped their two-game losing streak. They beat Indiana, 104-96. LeBron James led LA with 38 points. Now let's go back to the Geico Outkick the Coverage Studios and Clay Travis. We'll come back here in a moment, break down everything surrounding the Cowboys and the Saints, including this question. Was this the worst officiated game of the year? Did it take away from what otherwise could have been an incredible game? I thought so. We'll talk about it next. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Shout out to my dad for requesting Grandma got ran over by a reindeer last night at dinner. When we were talking about, he was bringing up the fact that we play Christmas music for over a month now, and he said, why don't you play Grandma got ran over by a reindeer? It's a good idea. Probably going to play it every day for the next month. Welcome back. Geico Outkick Studios, a message from Welch's Grape Juice. 100% of the profits made from Welch's Grape Juice goes to American farmers. Know what else goes to American farmers? 100% of the thrill from repeatedly crushing grapes, skins, and seeds included till all that's left is delicious juice. That's what's else. The world's toughest antioxidants, Welch's, toughest grapes. A lot of you right now thinking, man, I'd use some grape juice. You know who's also thinking I could use some grape juice? Officials. They might need some alcohol after that game they they called last night, too. That was the worst officiated game I've seen in the NFL in a very long time. Basically, every time they had to make a decision, they made the wrong decision. Now, I don't think the response last night when I gave uh, the Dallas Cowboys credit for their incredible defensive performance, almost everyone on social media was reacting to the officiating and how awful it was. I think it was so bad that it equally hindered both teams. I don't think there was one side that ended up benefiting the most. I thought the calls were equally uh, balanced out in awfulness. But let me bring in the crew. Uh, Danny G, were you with me that watching this game, the officiating was so bad it took away from your ability to enjoy it? Yeah, each coach should have been given seven challenges each last night because that was horrible. Besides uh, getting that Beasley first down call wrong and missing the obvious face mask on deck, I hated that P.I. call in the end zone against Cooper. If anything, I thought Amari extended his arm and pushed off a little bit. And in that situation, you got to let them play. I mean, the Saints, if they could have held the Cowboys to three, then Breeze would have been down by six with a chance to redeem himself. You're right, it interrupted the flow of the game. And it, by far, I think, was the worst called game of the season. Yeah, I thought the worst call that was missed all game was the hit on Alvin Kamara that was clearly targeting. The NFL and college football have both made a big deal about how, how, hey, we're going to protect players. And yet, I don't understand how they miss a call like that when it's blatant, clear as day. Now, also, the uh, I think Cole Beasley touchdown where the guy was like a yard and a half short, that's pretty difficult to miss too. But uh, the Saints didn't have any charges yet. Uh, challenges left. Dub, were you with me as well and, and Danny G that the officiating was so bad it took away from your enjoyment last night? Oh, one hundred percent. I mean, that 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 already was a great game, but that officiating and like you said, the uh, Jalen Smith hit on Alvin Kamara. I mean, he just launched himself like a missile right to his head. I mean, and there was an official right there too. Yeah. I don't understand how it's possible to miss that call. I mean, I, I just genuinely don't. I, and especially when we've been told by both uh, college football and the NFL that officials are supposed to err on the side of calling those penalties. 
because you're trying to take hits like that out of the game. Uh, and there we have it, and it's blatant, and it's a, it's ridiculous, and you miss it. Um, I just I, I don't know how that happens. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about as we come back here soon for the top of hour two is Dak Prescott. I think everybody out there is like, yes, that uh, Drew Brees did not have a good game, but he's Drew Brees. He's 39 years old. He's in the midst of one of the greatest performances we've ever seen from a quarterback. But amidst all of the excitement of the Dallas Cowboys, four weeks ago, everybody was demanding that Jason Garrett be fired and that there was no way. Remember, everybody reacted with uh, just jaw-dropping stupefaction when Jerry Jones said, yeah, we're going to extend Dak Prescott. Is it possible, when I watch uh, Dak Prescott play, I think that the Cowboys could end up with a Blake Bortles situation. I think there's an argument to be made that Dak Prescott is very similar to Blake Bortles and what we saw from the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, last year. And I'm going to flesh out this argument when we begin hour two. But I just want you guys to think about this as we head into break here shortly at the end of hour one. And I'll open up the phone lines for you all as well. 877-996-6369. You can react to what we saw Thursday night football, the win by the Dallas Cowboys over the New Orleans Saints. I'll take your calls. 877-996-6369. But is there an element of what we saw last year that's creeping in with the Dallas Cowboys this year? Which is... The Dallas Cowboy defense, like the Jacksonville Jaguar defense last year, is starting to play so well that Dak Prescott is becoming Blake Bortles in that he's going to get extended even though he's not proving that he's a franchise quarterback. He's just playing well enough in connection with a great defense that you're camouflaging and not noticing all the flaws in his game and that this is going to end up being a net negative for the Dallas Cowboys going forward. I want you to think about that. 877-996-6369. I am Clay Travis. This is Outkick, the coverage. Thanks for hanging and spending your Friday with us. Up next, more breakdown of Saints and Cowboys on Outkick. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance as well. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. And it's never a good look when you untuck a long, bulky dress shirt. That's why Untuck It makes shirts specifically designed to be worn untucked. Go to untuckit.com to see the new fall arrivals. Untuckit.com, your solution to perfecting casual. Use promo code CLAY, that's C-L-A-Y, for 20% savings. So, I think coming out of what is an epic, huge, monumental victory for the Dallas Cowboys against the New Orleans Saints, we have to take a step back and contemplate what we learned from last night's game. Unlike a lot of people, I don't believe you can overreact to individual NFL or college football games because they represent only one opportunity for you to review your favorite team in the NFL, potentially for only 16 different games, in college football, potentially for only 12. And so every different window that you see is a substantial portion of an overall portrait that ultimately will reveal itself to you. So yes, it's uh, it's it's possible to overreact to one game, but you shouldn't be uncomfortable with looking at every 60-minute window and saying, what did this particular section of an overall portrait reveal about the team? To me, the Saints loss is not as troubling as it might be to some Saints fans who are really upset about falling behind for the moment 
from the the Rams in a uh, playoff setting in the event that you get to the NFC Championship game. And let me explain why I don't think it matters that much in the larger universe right now. First of all, the Saints did not play well. The Saints had virtually everything go wrong for them on the offensive side of the ball. Drew Brees played his worst game of the season, and they lost by three points on the road in a game that the Dallas Cowboys were treating as their Super Bowl. That's actually what I would expect to happen for a Super Bowl champion. The Dallas Cowboy offense had very limited success against the New Orleans Saint defense, and the Saint defense gave their offense time after time opportunities to win that game last night. So if I am a Saints fan and I am sitting looking at this game the next morning in retrospect, I'm saying, you know what? That's a tough game to lose, but everything went against us. We were on the road in a Thursday night setting, which tends to favor the home team. The Dallas Cowboys, Jason Garrett, everybody on that team basically were treating us as a Super Bowl environment. And we answered the bell to such an extent that even though we fell behind initially and didn't score in the first half, we had the ball multiple times in the second half with a chance to win that football game. And so as a result, I look at the rest of the New Orleans Saints schedule and I say, okay, let's look at the larger universe of the NFL right now. Let's say the worst case scenario system happens in this in this kind of situation. And we are looking at the overall playoff picture and how many teams in the NFC do we really feel nervous about losing to? And then on top of that, you look right now, there's a pretty substantial gap between the Rams and the Saints and everybody else. The third team right now in the NFC is the Chicago Bears, and they're 8-3. and three. And New Orleans is now sitting at 10-2, and two, but you look at their final four and you say, okay, we're going on the road against the Bucs next. The Saints should win that game. I know they lost to the Bucs in week one. That makes me even more confident that the Saints are going to beat the Bucs, all right? Then you've got the Saints on the road against the Panthers. Maybe that's a losable game, but I also feel like the Saints should win that game. Then the Steelers come to town. That's going to be a massive game. Steelers got a tough closing schedule. And then the Panthers come to town. I think it's likely that worst case scenario, the Saints go 3-1. and one. Do I feel like the Chicago Bears are going to run the table? No. So that means that the Saints would still get a bye and they would still get home field for all but one game, assuming the Rams won out, okay? Then the next step becomes, if you are the Saints, where is the game we'd have to go on the road for? Would it change in some way what we do? Now, I'd rather play in a dome. I'd rather play indoor. I'd rather play on our fast track in New Orleans where our fans are crazy and zany and wild, and we know how much they can make a difference for us. But if we have to play on the road, is it really that bad to have to go to L.A.? It's likely to be dry. It's likely to be relatively warm. You're likely to be playing against a team that you know you've already beat that isn't a defensive juggernaut. Does it really matter in the grand scheme of things a ton if I'm a Saints fan, if worst case scenario, we end up with the two seed now 
and we have to go on the road and win in LA. I just don't know that that's anywhere near the equivalent of, oh, we got to go on the road in Pittsburgh. Oh, we got to go on the road in Foxborough. Oh, we got to go on the road in Kansas City. Even though the, uh, sorry, Chiefs fans, you haven't won a home playoff game since 1993. The road and the environment, the weather, could be a massive impact in a Kansas City, in a Pittsburgh, or in a Foxborough in New England. Now, if you end up having to go on the road in Chicago, that could be significant, but I just don't see the Bears as running the table in their final five because the Bears play against the Giants. Okay, you can feel pretty good about that game probably. But then the Bears have the Rams, they've got the Packers, and they got the Vikings. I just don't see there's any I think there's any way that the Bears are going to finish 13 and 3. I don't see any way that the Saints finish worse than 13 and 3. So I think the worst case scenario now as you wake up this morning coming out of this defeat if you're a Saints fan is we're going to be the 2 seed worst case scenario and we still have a decent chance to run the table and be the one seed so I don't think this is a cataclysmic loss for the Saints by any stretch of the imagination now the Dallas Cowboys Dallas has taken a stranglehold to some extent in this division they're five and one at home that's a big deal because if you win the division you get to play a home playoff game and if you're doing the standings right now and kind of thinking about what the playoffs might look like you would in theory have the uh, Dallas Cowboys as the four seed. If the season ended today, the Minnesota Vikings would be coming on the road against the uh, against the Dallas Cowboys. I like the Vikings in that game. I think the Vikings are better than the Cowboys, but the Cowboys are 5-1 and one at home, and so you'd have to be cautiously optimistic if you're a Cowboy fan. Reason why I bring that up. I think there's an argument to be made that the Dallas Cowboys right now are eerily similar to the run that the Jacksonville Jaguars got on last year. What happened? The defense came alive and became a real force. And a quarterback that people weren't 100% sure about rode the tidal wave of that defensive performance to a massive contract extension. Then what happened this year? The wheels came off. The Jacksonville Jaguars basically have had to acknowledge to everyone that they paid way too much money to Blake Bortles. The $50-plus million contract they gave him was a reaction to to the defense getting hot and Blake Bortles not being a total screw-up. Could the same situation be playing out with Dak Prescott in Dallas? Maybe. Or maybe this is different because maybe all Dak needed was Amari Cooper and the trade that Jerry Jones made that he got ripped for when he went and gave up a first-round pick for Amari Cooper. Maybe that fundamentally changed Dak Prescott's trajectory this year because you can certainly point to his performance since they added Amari Cooper. The Dallas Cowboys are now four and one. They were three and four before Amari Cooper got there. They're four and one since he got there. Maybe the argument is now Dak's got a weapon at receiver that opened up the rest of the run game for Ezekiel Elliott and that fundamentally altered the trajectory of the Dallas Cowboys season. One of the fun things about watching NFL games is trying to discern exactly what we're learning about each individual team as the season plays out. All right, let me take a couple of your calls, and then we're going to be joined by Missouri head football coach Barry Odom live uh, to talk about his team season, talk about Drew Locke 
And also, we will discuss uh, what he thinks of Alabama and Georgia. He's one of the few coaches in America who has gone up against both teams. How would he break down each of these teams? Let me take some of your calls first. Uh, Pat in Shreveport. What's up, Pat? Yeah, talking the history of the NFL and the Saints. Remember, New Orleans won the Super Bowl in 2009, and they could have won it in 2011. They lost that road playoff game in Candlestick against San Francisco when Alex Smith drove the 49ers linked to the field. And the Saints should have had uh, that game. Uh, it was the last drive that San Francisco won on. The New York Giants won the Super Bowl that year. And if you remember in the regular season, New Orleans was 35, 40 points ahead in that game against the Giants and won by 21. And I said to myself watching that game or listening to that game that the Saints are going to get back to the Super Bowl and win it again. And they, their defense just didn't hold the 49ers on that last drive. And it cost the Saints and Drew Brees quite possibly a second Super Bowl. Now, the game tonight was there for the taking. A couple of things. I mean, Sean Payton uh, lives by the sword, and, and they lose sometimes by the sword. Going forward in the first quarter from down there yeah. at the goal line, I know Sean's thinking, hey, we're going to score 30-35 anyway. It's not going to matter. Let's jam it in here and score the first seven. But when you look at it, it's a turnover. I mean, they got to give me three points. The game's 13-13 if they just kick the field goal right there. And, and, you know, I know that's extrapolating quickly to the end of the game, but, you know, quite honestly, the Dallas defense is excellent. You could tell that Dallas was going to be able to slow down New Orleans somewhat. I predicted, I thought New Orleans would still be able to score 30 and win the game by 8, 9, 10 points. But the Dallas defense is stymieing, and they have the type defense that literally can go to Los Angeles and do the same thing to the Rams offense that they did to the Saints offense tonight. And uh, just all sorts of things. And, you know, and, and the other thing is, as great as Drew Brees is, the man's approaching 40 years old. And, you know, when you put people in his face, any quarterback, you put a heavy rush in a quarterback's face, and, and he's going to struggle somewhat. And, and, and one thing, too, I want to say about Dak Prescott, and just keep this in mind, uh, he's an average to above average quarterback but the guy's a winner i mean he was not recruited as a major college quarterback went to mississippi state and they became the number one team in america it's one thing to do that when you go play at alabama or auburn or georgia or florida or usc but he went to a no-name program and turned them into the best team in america although they didn't win the national championship that year he came in as an unheralded quarterback in the nfl and I'll just say this, part of the reason Drew Brees struggled tonight is because Dak Prescott went 24 for 28 with 248 yards passing, and he picked up three first downs uh, running out of the pocket on scrambles. So when he, he's, a, he's a 1960s NFL quarterback, and people laugh and say, oh, well, you know, there's no way they can get it done. The man's won everywhere he's ever been, and as long as Ezekiel Elliott's healthy and the Dallas offensive line – uh, uses a controlled ground game, I think they have the formula for success. I don't think Dallas can beat New Orleans in a playoff game in New Orleans. I think if if, if they played that game over tonight in Dallas, the Saints would probably win that game eight out of ten times. But it was kind of intriguing tonight to watch Dallas flip the script and people say, I, I wasn't sure that there was a team in the NFL this year that could do to the Saints offense what Dallas did. And quite honestly, it was just the perfect mix 
because Prescott's the type quarterback two or three times on third down when they needed first downs. He ran for first downs, and most teams don't have that. And that yep. frustrates okay. the Saints defense. To good play stuff. Good, game. good stuff from Pat. That's a good monologue. Pat was ready to roll. Uh, Sean in Colorado, what's up? Yeah, um, you know, I was just going to touch on, on the game last night. Um, two things. What do you think that does to the other teams looking at playing the Saints in the future this season? Um, the way the defense shut them down in the first half uh, for the Cowboys, what does that do for the Saints going forward? You know, they, they proved last night that you get pressure on Drew Brees, you rattle him, and, and he basically fell apart. And, well, and first, of, first of all, first of all, on that, the Dallas Cowboys have a really good defense. I don't think that they did anything other than execute their game plan really well. I don't think there's more than seven or eight teams in the NFL that are capable of playing the style of defense against the Saints that the Cowboys were. Okay, um, and the other the other point I had was with Dak. You know, the first season he come out as a rookie quarterback, he you know he was on fire. Um, he had that, that momentum going for him, and ever since they got Amari Cooper, I think he's he's found that drive again that he's he's wanting to win. You know, he, he's pushing himself with the will to win. Do you think a, a loss in the future, do you think that's going to kind of shut that will down? Or, you know, they go into the playoffs and, and say lose out the first game. Do you think that Prescott comes back and, and – has that same drive, or do you think we see the quarterback we've seen the last two years that kind of just, you know, mediocre? Yeah, I don't, I don't think drive is Dak Prescott's issue. I think it's that at times he misses throws that he can't miss, like the Michael Gallup play late in this game where Michael Gallup put the double move on, and I think it was on Eli Apple, and he's wide open, and that's a throw that every NFL quarterback has to make, and Dak missed him. I think at times Dak is just not accurate enough to be an elite-level quarterback. I don't think it's about trying hard enough. I think it's just that Dak is at times flawed. AJ in Texas, what's up? Hey, what's up, man? I, I agree. I'm, I'm over here in Texas, huge Cowboy fan, and uh, I think he's I think he's flawed. I think a quarterback should be able to make a 30, 40-yard pass downfield to a wide-open receiver, like you just said. Uh, that's that's what sets him apart from you know these other quarterbacks that are able to make those plays in big-time situations where you're you're only up a few points on the Saints, and you need that you need that score to to get up even more on them. Uh, I think it's pretty crazy that you're saying you know if this is their Super Bowl, you know them playing the Saints last night. God, I hate to get there, and Dak can't even make a pass like that down the field to win a Super Bowl game. That's pretty wild. Hey, yeah, and I think the other show. thing on Dak, by the way, is the 11 fumbles deserves way more attention than it's getting. 11 fumbles for a quarterback. And uh, and he had two last night, I believe, is an insane number. Like if you added those to Dak Prescott's interceptions, it would be and like you got to think about the total turnovers that your quarterback makes. And I think we don't spend enough time talking about these fumbles in the pocket that Dak has had an issue of. He's got more fumbles than anybody else in the NFL this year. You add those to his interceptions. And we're talking about a guy who would be leading the NFL in overall turnovers just about. So that's significant, I think. Did we lose uh, AJ in Texas? Let's go to uh, Jason in Roanoke. What's up, Jason? Hey, Clay. First, I want to give you your respect uh, about how you're very true to your opinions and you don't care what people think. But then again, when you're talking about the similarities between Blake Bortles and Dak Prescott, that's not very fair, I believe. Uh, If you look at the first three years of Blake Bortles with his completion percentages and his 
completions uh, 15 yards or more, it's not even close to between him and Dak Prescott. Yeah, the fumbles are an issue. He has to work on them. But at the same time, like that first caller said, Dak's a winner. He's 49-15 and 15 going into his third year as a starting quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys. All right, uh, Dub. I'll give you a research assignment. We're going to talk with uh, we're going to talk with Barry Odom next here uh, on the show, Missouri's head football coach. Look up the last three years of Dak Prescott head to head with Blake Bortles. Just compare their data and then share it with us. We'll talk about it at the end of hour three. Is there any uh, correspondence there? Am I crazy to see similarities between the two? Kevin in Texas closing out our uh, one segment one here for us. What you got? Hey, thanks for taking my call, Clay. Uh, I don't mean to flood your line with uh, Dallas Cowboys fans, but uh, I'm not one, I'm not a bandwagon. I've been a Cowboys fan for life. But anyways, let me just real quick. Um, I, I don't think Dak Prescott's career can be compared to that, uh, Blake Bortles much. I see him more as a Derek Carr. Um, uh, fortunately, I mean, I mean hopefully, uh, Dak Prescott can take maybe a pay cut, you know, uh, not necessarily a pay cut, but not ask for so much because, I mean, we all saw – we all, we're all seeing what Derek Carr is uh, going through right now when he doesn't have a defense. So hopefully, you know, he'll take a pick, you know, not take as much money, you know, load up the defense and, uh, and keep winning, man. That's all it is. All right, appreciate the call. We'll come back. Barry Odom, Missouri head football coach, is going to join us. We will break down everything surrounding the SEC title game and also the postseason and discuss everything that happened with Missouri in uh, this past season. They went 8-4. and four. They finished in the top 25. In the meantime, I want you to send the holiday gift that families across America have loved for over 100 years, Omaha Steaks. Right now, Omaha Steaks giving an amazing limited-time offer to my listeners. When you get to omahasteaks.com and you enter Travis into the search bar, you will get 74% off Omaha Steaks family gift package. Originally $195, now only $49.99. I got to tell you, I've been eating this. My wife has been cooking these steaks. They sent it to my house, and it is phenomenal. OmahaSteaks.com, enter the code TRAVIS. You get $50 price. You get nearly $200 in steaks that includes four hand-cut, uh, aged to tenderness, top sirloin steaks, Premium pork chops, uh, four chicken fried steaks, four Omaha Steaks burgers, four snappy kielbasa sausages, all perfect meatballs, four perfectly browned potatoes are gratin, four made-from-scratch caramel apple tartlets, plus you get four more burgers for free. That's Omaha Steaks. They will hook you up right now. The family package, family gift package, $49.99, great hit gift for the holidays. Go to omahasteaks.com, put in the code word Travis, that's my name, T-R-A-V-I-S, you get nearly $200 in steaks for just $49.99. Don't wait. Offer in soon. Go to omahasteaks.com. Type Travis in the search bar to send the Omaha Steaks family gift package today. Up next, it's Barry Odom. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back, Geico Outkick Studios. Car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price. When you're ready to buy a new or used car, visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. And we're brought to you by Discover Card. We treat you like you treat you. About to be joined by Missouri head football coach Barry Odom. He's at coach underscore Odom on Twitter. But first, Ralph Irvin, what you got for me? Well, first off, of course, we had a heck of a performance by the Dallas Cowboys. Prescott extends his arms outward to the crowd, to his teammates. From 3-5, and five, the Dallas Cowboys have announced themselves. 105.3, the fan of the Cowboys radio network with the call as Dallas holds New Orleans to just 176 yards of offense 
in beating the Saints 13-10. In the NBA, Toronto in overtime win over Golden State 131-128. Kawhi Leonard 37 points, 8 rebounds in the win. The Clippers, the top team in the West, they won in Sacramento 133-121 for their fourth straight. And the Lakers end a two-game losing streak beating Indiana 104-96. And believe it or not, Clay, yes, there is college basketball that just went final. Number 21, Buffalo, a winner over Milwaukee, 96-77 in a game played in Belfast, Northern Ireland. I had no idea that happened. Got to be honest with you. No I didn't either, and then place. there it is. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Never know. Thanks, uh, Ralph Irvin, okay. for that update. Uh, let me go ahead and uh, roll in here. We are in the Geico Outkick Studios, where it's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. We're joined now by Missouri head football coach Barry Odom. Tigers finish 8-4, and four, top 25 season. 4-4 uh, four and four in the SEC. Big win over the Florida Gators. And uh, they played against both uh, Georgia and Alabama. And I'll have Coach Odom break that down. But I'm curious for you now, Coach, as you sit around and wait. First of all, thanks for joining us. Secondly, did you watch any of, any of that game last night between the Cowboys and the uh, and the Saints? Or what are you doing now that the season's over as you wait for the uh, the, the bowl season and where you're going to be going? Yeah, what's up, Clay? Man, uh, good good to be on with you guys this morning. Um, the, the big decision I've got, I've, I'm, I'm trying to decide if I'm going to go purchase the the hardback cover cover of, of your book or <laughs> or if i want to if i want to go nine hours of listening to your to your pod, your voice on the, on the audio book so that's a that's a tough decision i'm trying to decide right now um i'm actually in dallas uh on on the road recruiting so i was in in dallas last night not didn't get a chance to attend the game uh had a couple of home visits recruiting wise and uh then headed back to campus today to We'll have a practice tomorrow. Um, you know, obviously we'll find out Sunday our, our bowl opponent, and then we've got official visits. So, you know, it's a busy time they, they, with the moving of uh, signing date. You know, the third Wednesday now in December, the early signing date. That's kind of sped everything up with our calendar. Uh, so, as soon as our game was over, we beat Arkansas um, the day after Thanksgiving on Friday, and then we hit the road recruiting and uh, kind of been nonstop since then. How much would you like to be able to go back and play some of the games? Your team seems like it hits its stride and certainly hit its stride in November this year with a lot of big kind of dominant wins down the stretch to finish the year. How much yeah. would you like to go back and be able to replay some of the games that you lost earlier in the year now? Well, I think really you get, you know, you, you, you get about what you earn and we weren't we weren't playing complete enough ball early on in the year to win some close games. We lost a uh, to number one at the time, Bama, number two at the time, Georgia. And then we lost on the last play of the game to Kentucky and last play to South Carolina. So you know, we're really close um, to breaking down another wall there. You know, I, I think before uh, all said and done through the month of November, we're playing as, as good a ball we, as we have. And that's another that's a reason we're practicing this weekend because I'm trying to continue to capture that because we are playing our best ball. Uh, the momentum that we have, the way that we're playing together on both sides of the ball, uh, really complimenting each other and uh, excited about uh, getting into another bowl game and, and finding out where we're going to be. You got Drew Locke at quarterback. Uh, I know he hasn't officially decided what he's going to do going forward, but he seems like he's going to be an NFL quarterback one day. You've watched a lot of guys. You've played a lot of defense over the years. How good can Drew Locke be both at the bowl game but also at the next level in the NFL in your mind? 
you know, just like our team, I think Drew is playing his best football. And, you know, he's playing smarter than he ever has. And I think it's because of, of what he's understood on, you know, the the training, the football IQ part of it, the the understanding of of not trying to force every throw, you know, throw the check down, live to play the next snap. And uh, he's led our team this year. He's got the physical tools that's off the charts. And I think the, the thing that he's done most since the end of the year last year until today is put himself in position, understanding the game and playing smart football. Um, you know, he's had every team, you know, in the in the league through through our uh, watching practices the last you know couple months, and getting conversations with kind of what they're thinking. He's gonna he's gonna be a really high draft pick, and I think he's gonna play ball for a long time. When you look at uh, your team, the biggest win that you guys had all season, and it seems like a moment that kind of crystallized how good you could be was the win you got on the road against the Florida Gators. You guys went into the swamp and really took it to Florida. What did it feel like in that locker room after that game? Well, we had just we had just lost to Kentucky the week before, you know, on the last play of the game. Um, so had some, you know, some tough moments there early in the week on on getting past that. And I thought our guys responded really in in great fashion on using it uh, fuel of, of motivation, so to speak, and then we prepared really well that week. knew that knew that we were have opportunities. We just went and played played our game, and our, and our guys went out and started really fast. Uh, momentum, you know, got on our sideline early on, and and we kept it. And we we played about as efficient on both sides of the ball. Uh, and then after the game, you know, the reward for uh, being that close, and, and we talked about it openly after the Kentucky game. You know, guys, we're going to be we're going to be in this situation again. You know, it's going to be crunch time late in the fourth quarter. Uh, because I knew we were just good enough as a team that we were going to be in every game as long as we didn't go out there and turn the ball over. We didn't give up explosive plays on defense. You know, we're, we're um, in, a, in a position that I knew we were going to be in the game if we just go play uh, the way that we can. We did, executed, made some plays. I mean, we had guys step up and, and make plays through the course of that game. But uh, it was fun seeing them celebrate and understanding that that was a big win for us at the time. We're talking to Missouri head football coach Barry Odom. How many times, you mentioned that Kentucky game and the way it ended, how many times did you watch the pass interference call in super slow-mo? How many different versions did you watch it from? I mean, as a coach, as a, as a, as a fan sitting down and watching that game on television, I had a reaction. As a coach, I'm sure you did. Then you go back and you watch the film. To have a game come down to a call like that, what did you think And now that the season's over, you go back? I mean, how frustrating was that? Well, you, you know, I've watched it, you know, a number, I would say hundreds and hundreds of times, if not, if not more than that, because the, the thing that I wanted to make sure that, that however we were teaching the coverage technique with our defensive back, um, you know, what, what did we do wrong? How can I coach it better? How can I put my kids in, in a position to go make the play when that situation arises again? And, you know, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change the technique he played with, but we played it as the way that I'm coaching it and that we're coaching it. He played it just like, uh, just like he was supposed to. So um, you, you look at, you know, for us, um, when we're building this like we are, you know, the margin of error is very, very slim, uh, very minimal, and you understand that there's over the course of a game, you know, there's there, every every play matters, every every yard, every inch, every possession, all that stuff. But there's going to be a, a select, you know, select 12 to 14 to 16 plays that really, really determine the outcome of the game. And, you know, in the balance there, uh, we made some plays down the stretch to give us a chance, and then and they did as well. So you learn from it, you use that experience moving forward for when you get into that uh, position again. That you know the the mindset goes from here we go, 
not not no not not oh here we go again. Uh, it's it's a it's a mindset of, of putting yourself in position, the mental repetitions that you're going to take through it and go through it and understand that that they're trained for it. You're ready to go and, and step up and in crunch time and make a play. We're talking to Missouri head football coach Barry Odom. You had to make a decision in the offseason to replace Josh Heupel, who went to UCF. They obviously haven't lost a game with him as the head coach there. You had to bring in Derek Dooley as an offensive coordinator. You took some criticism for that in the offseason. How did you think it went? Well, you look at what I wanted You know, after I met with Derek a number of times and understood what he was going to be able to bring to the table, not only offensively, but with our program. He's done. You know, He's been a guy that I've leaned on on some things. He's made our program better. And, and he's done an outstanding job coaching our offense and leading that side of the ball. If you look statistically on what we've done offensively this year, we're a much better football team, more complete, able to run the ball, much more efficient on third downs, taking care of the ball. And, uh, you know, we've, we're, we're a better team and, and a large part because we're playing so well on offense. So the thing I wanted to, to make sure that, that uh, in-house that, that we – shielded ourselves some from that criticism and just make sure that we took care of what we knew we had in our locker room and Derek's done that and I wanted him to be judged on you know the 12 Saturdays on on the production they put on the field and I think he's he's done a heck of a job we're talking to Barry Odom Missouri football coach you mentioned early in this conversation that you coached against Alabama and Georgia they play tomorrow in the SEC title game there's only one other coach in America I think Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee who has coached against both of those teams uh, in the same year so far. How would you break down those two teams? What do you expect to see between Alabama and Georgia tomorrow in Atlanta? Well, we played them both you know, decently early in the season. Uh, Georgia, I think, was game four for us, and then Bama was game six. Uh, the thing that in, in our conference and league, it's a line of scrimmage league, and you know, I think it, it's always going to be that way, and you look at what the way that both of those programs are built, and you just start with the line of scrimmage on both sides, uh, that's going to be such a unique matchup. Uh, you know, I, I think that uh, there's going to be uh, really some – I think this will be a, a tremendous game. I think this will be some, some tremendous one-on-one battles uh, that that will be interesting to watch. I think the way that, that both, both teams uh, are, are built similarly, that the thing – that, that Alabama has done with the play of their quarterback and, and the skill that they've got on the outside. Uh, they're really stretching the field vertically. Uh, you know, they're explosive, but also we look at, at what Georgia is able to do defensively. I think it's going to be, you know, Clay, I think it's going to be a lot closer than, than uh, maybe, maybe uh, everybody thinks. They're both tremendous teams. How good is Tua? You've seen Nick Saban defensively. You're a defensive guy. You come on from the defensive side of the ball. Nick Saban offensively has not necessarily been dynamic over the years. How much more difficult is he to cover given his talents, and how would you assess him overall from a defensive standpoint trying to match up against him? Well, he stretches every every inch of the field, and he, he doesn't. He's, he's playing smart football. Uh, the touch that he has on the ball, you know, you watch it on video. And you're impressed with it, and then you get in person, and and it's even more impressive. Uh, he's got a calmness about him. He understands what they're trying to do with the play call, uh, and then he's so gifted that um, you know he 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 can get out of trouble. He can buy time. You know he can run and get yards, uh, and then his vision down the field is something that when I walked away from the game, um, he's he's playing as good as anybody in the country. 
you uh, said you're on the road recruiting right now. You finished your third year at Missouri. What is the response that you're getting from recruits? And I know you've gotten some interest because you guys have had a good season. You've gotten interest from other jobs. How would you kind of assess the overall status of the program right now and your future there? Well, we're winning and we're winning in our conference, and uh, you know we ended up with a 500 record this year. Uh, we understand what we have coming back. A lot of returning starters on both sides of the ball. We've recruited our staff has recruited really well. We've played a lot of freshmen. I think we played you know, we played 13 true freshmen last year. We played 15 this year. We're we're young in most spots, and we were losing our quarterback and a receiver and our right tackle offensively, uh, and on the defensive side. You know, losing three or four guys, but we've, we've played a number of guys. We've got a, um, you know, really solid foundation coming back. We're going to be in position with another recruiting class to, to get our depth closer to where it needs to be to be able to go compete in this league. And I'm excited about the things that we've got going. And I think the, the opportunity that once we get guys on campus, they get around me and get around our staff and, and they want to be a part of it. And, uh, so I'm excited about what we're going to do. Uh, look forward to getting in, into a bowl game and all the preparation that you get with, with your team leading into that point, and then uh, then we'll get into the offseason and, and start over in, in the building process. Coach, appreciate you getting up early with us. Good luck with that uh, early recruiting period. Hope you enjoy the book. My wife says nine hours of audio is too much for me, but everybody hears 15 hours every week on the radio, so maybe that's enough too. I hear you, man. Thanks. Y'all have a great one. You too. That's Coach uh, Barry Odom at Coach underscore Odom, O-D-O-M, if you want to go find him on Twitter. We'll come back. I think we got some Animal Thunderdome for you to finish out Hour 2. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Welcome back, Geico Outkick Studios. We're brought to you by MyBookie.net. We're in the middle of football. It's time to get in on the action with MyBookie.net. Use promo code CLAY, that's C-L-A-Y, when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus. No deposit necessary. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. I know I teased the Animal Thunderdome. We got a loaded hour three. We're going to try to get the Animal Thunderdome in for hour three but, Dub, I had you do the research, and I forgot I had you do the research. How do Dak Prescott and Blake Bortles compare over the past three years? Honestly, fairly comparable. The one thing is the turnovers. Dak Prescott, the last three seasons, 9,418 pass yards, 58 touchdowns, 22 INTs. He's got almost 1,000 yards rushing with 17 touchdowns, and he has 34 total turnovers. Blake Bortles, a little bit more passing yards, one less touchdown, 39 interceptions, more rush yards actually, 10 touchdowns on the ground. He's got 67 total touchdowns and 52 total turnovers. So really, the big difference is 34 turnovers for Dak, 52 for Blake Bortles. And that is uh, the big difference. So otherwise, passing uh, uh, and and other things are uh, similar, and it's worth uh, contemplating. Yeah, Bortles has more pass yards and more rush yards for what it's worth. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, all right, let's try to get a quick Animal Thunderdome in here. Cue the music, boys. Ladies and gentlemen. I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls. I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying times here. I have a bunch of stretch to my face. And you have a what? This is Animal Thunderdome. All right, Danny G, what you got for me? All right, Clay, this past Monday, a squirrel was blamed for a huge power outage in Virginia that left almost 1,000 customers without power and trapped several people in elevators. 
Oh, no. Appalachian Power said the outage, which began around 9.20 a.m. on Monday, was caused when a squirrel came into contact with equipment at the 7th Street substation in Roanoke. The incident knocked out power to 1,000 customers. Emergency workers said that several people were rescued from elevators, including one person stranded near the 6th floor of a building. The squirrel had to be like the squirrel in Christmas Vacation, right? I mean, it's just (laughs) completely charred. Uh, You would think so. Yeah. All right. What else you got for me? (laughs) All right. uh, This one was kind of interesting. It's the owner of a huge stair. This is the largest in Australia. I saw this picture. Yeah. Over 3,000 pounds this cow is. And the size, oh, by the way, 6'4", as far as his height. It saved him from the slaughterhouse. Jeff Pearson said, his name is Nickers. Jeff Pearson said, Nickers, he was just too big for the slaughterhouse. He's too heavy, and he wouldn't be able to put through a processing facility, Pearson told the newspaper. So I think he will just live out his life happily ever after. This cow went viral all over the internet because (laughs) it is massive. I mean, six foot four cow, and it's standing around all the other cows, and it's just a a giant. (laughs) If you didn't see the pictures of this cow, it was incredible. All right, what else? All right, uh, a wild elephant wandered into a Chinese inn, spent hours feasting on corn, oranges, and other items inside this hotel, the business owner said. The inn in Yunnan province... Well, I've seen this elephant walking around town before, but it's never bum-rushed inside their location. About 4.30 a.m. last Saturday, it walked in and just helped itself to the food that they had inside the inn. It stayed there for several hours. There were no injuries. Finally, it, it wandered out on its own after it demolished this inn. It left carnage in its path, but... Nobody was hurt as far as humans go. I saw, speaking of somebody getting hurt, and we need to maybe get this story for next week, I saw an unbelievable story about a grizzly bear that killed a mom and a baby, and then the man who was the husband tracked down the grizzly. Did you just decide not to do that story because it was too dark? I stayed away from it because it was dark, and the last time I reported an infant's death, you guys roasted me on the air. Yeah, well, that was an infant death that got stolen away by a monkey in India, if I remember. Yeah. Well, we gotta, I got to dive into this story. So many people have been sending it to me about the grizzly bear. Was that in America, uh, this story, or was it in Canada? Where was the grizzly bear story from? Uh, I will have to look that up. Yeah, we'll talk about that. Maybe not this next hour, but uh, at some point, maybe next week. We'll give you a tease a week in advance on the Animal Thunderdome. Next hour, we are stacked here. At the top of Hour 3, we're going to be joined by Joel Klatt to break down the Big Ten uh, and the Big 12 and every other of the uh, title game races as we head to the playoffs. And then we'll be joined by formerly of ESPN, Darren Ravel. First interview he's done since leaving ESPN. Live from the Geico Outkick Studios, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote. And we're brought to you by Discover Card. We treat you like you'd treat you. Let me also go ahead and hit this. Everybody's got a to-do list. Drop off the dry cleaning, pick up some milk. Here's an idea. Let's add, save hundreds of dollars on car insurance. The good thing is you don't have to drop off or pick up anything. All you have to do is go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, you could be saving 15% or more on car insurance. 
extra money in your pocket. It just may be the most rewarding to-do you do today. We're going to be joined by Joel Klatt. He is calling the Big Ten title game between Ohio State and Northwestern. He's in Indianapolis right now. There's also going to be a lot of drama coming out of Oklahoma and Texas uh, with the Big 12 championship game. SEC, I'm headed down to Atlanta to see Alabama and Georgia play. And uh, the Pac-12 will be going on tonight on Fox with Utah going up against Washington. And uh, what, in the ACC, we've also got uh, the game between Pittsburgh and Clemson. Those are the five major conference games that are going on. Also, for those of you waking up last night, we saw an incredible game by the Dallas Cowboys. Joel, did you stay up and watch that? Did you watch last night, Monday, uh, the Thursday night game on Fox between the, uh, the, the Cowboys and the Saints? I saw parts of it. We had a big um, kind of our end-of-the-year crew dinner where we you know, have everybody, even the technical crew, Yep. So, and, and uh, I saw parts of it, but uh, not the entire thing. Yeah, it was a great game. Cowboys played flawlessly, won 13-10, defensive struggle, uh, which you didn't expect with the Saints. We'll break down that a little bit more. But you are in Indianapolis, and you are, I would say, in an incredibly interesting position, uh, getting dr- pulled in multiple directions at once. Um, and so... You've got Oklahoma going up against Texas and Ohio State going up against Northwestern. Let's say that both favorites win, Oklahoma and Ohio State, and only one of these teams can get into the playoff. First question for you, the toughest one, who goes? Well, probably Oklahoma, uh, assuming that Alabama wins uh, over Georgia. I just think that that 29-point loss to Purdue is is ultimately something that the committee is not going to be able to get over. Um I, I and, and Oklahoma has their aberration as well, which is a defense that is in the 100s when it comes to almost every single statistical category. I mean, this is a defense that is just awful. I mean, awful. And what's so crazy about it is that uh, Clay they they are substantially worse now than they were even when Mike Stoops was fired. Yeah, I you know I, I'm looking at some of these metrics. They're giving up a point more per drive, which is – I can't even tell you how, 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 how big that is. Like, it, it, these advanced stats and, like, analytics now, like points per drive and everything, it's hard to put into context what that, what that means. But a point more per drive is, is a substantial amount. And, and this is a defense that has not stopped anybody. In fact, I mean, they gave up 40 to Kansas is the way that you can sum that up for everybody out there who's like, oh, what does this exactly mean? Kansas hung 40 on them in Norman. Well, and just to give you some context, Texas the next week played Kansas and gave up essentially three points until some garbage time scores really right. late in that ball game. So, I mean, and, and Kansas is a little bit better. So, I, you know, everyone brings up, Kansas and yes they're bad but they're a lot better than they have been the last couple of years that doesn't mean you should give up 40 to them here's a here's a better metric rather than saying they give up 40 to Kansas Clay this is all you have to say in the month of November just in the month of November they gave up 189 points here's some context to 189 points in the entire calendar year for Alabama entire calendar year that means you you include last year's playoffs two games of of the playoffs alabama's given up just five more points than that wow 194 points so to say that alabama or excuse me that oklahoma is bad on defense is an understatement 
I'm saying all of that to say that both of these teams are incredibly flawed, incredibly flawed, but the name of the game and, and the way that we value teams in this sport is what you do on the scoreboard. And Oklahoma, even having given up 189 points in the month of November, did not lose a game. And their loss was a close game to a ranked team in a neutral site uh, to the University of Texas. It wasn't to a 6-6 six and six team by 29. So that's ultimately going to be their undoing. Now, I, I do think that they're going to have a lot to discuss. Let's say... Oklahoma wins another game that it's like, you know, 58-55 or something ridiculous like that over Texas. And and Ohio State wins like they did in 2014 against Wisconsin going 59 nothing. I think that the committee is going to have a decision to make at that point. I, and I honestly don't know what they'll do. Uh, but again, all of this is with the caveat that Alabama wins. Because if Alabama loses, we have been... I think primed and the committee has set themselves up for with a huge firewall and safety net of eight overrated SEC teams ranked in the top 25, where I think Alabama would go even if they lose to Georgia, which is like music to your ears. You're like, oh, yeah. your grin right now is like yeah. ear to ear. It's, it's sickening to be quite honest. I want you to say on the broadcast during the Big Ten, as much as it pains me to say this, Clay Travis and all the other SEC fanboys might get their wish uh, if, by the time you're calling the game, uh, we have seen Georgia pull off the upset over Alabama. All right, so that is uh, that is what hap- what is going to be happening going forward. And I'm going to get back to going forward, but I want to go back to the past first. You called Michigan Ohio State. Yeah. I thought that was one of the most stunning results I can remember seeing in college football in a very very long time. I got the sense you and Gus were stunned as well. Did Michigan get totally exposed on the defensive side of the ball? Do you believe that Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma, Georgia could have had the same level of success as Ohio State? Or what happened in that game such that a number one defense could give up 62 points? Well, there was a couple of things that, that I think uniquely you know, affected that game in particular. One of them was the injury to Chase Winovich. And, and you don't want to overstate you know, a singular injury. But here's what happens is that if you're going to run that aggressive style of man coverage in, in the secondary, you've got to get to the quarterback. And, in fact, when I talk with Don Brown, the defensive coordinator, here's one of the things that he always says, and I, and I should have said this during the broadcast, but I didn't get to it. He said that the only thing he watches during the game and this is widely considered the best defensive coordinator in, in the entire sport. He said the only thing he watches during the game is, are we near him or are we not? And if we aren't, we're going to be there. And I'm like, well, what do you, what do you mean? And he was like, I, I, I look at the quarterback. Are we affecting him? Are we pressuring him? And if we aren't, we have to. And they never got to Dwayne Haskins. No sacks on the game. And, and it wasn't even like he was being pressured or knocked down. And so it doesn't matter how good your your secondary is. You can have keep the lead back there and Chris Harris Jr. and, and whomever, Marcus Peters. Those guys are going to get exposed if they have to cover for more than two and a half seconds. That's just the nature of, of band coverage. And so with, with the veteran core of wide receivers, it was I thought it was a perfect storm with the injuries up front, in particular to Chase Winovich, 
and the fact that they could not get any pressure with their down four on Dwayne Haskins, it it was just fish in a barrel in the back end. And and those wide receivers are fast. They're very good. They're veteran. They understood how to how to win against man and get separated. And that's what I was most shocked with. Michigan tried to do a few things, um, and then all of a sudden, kind of middle of the third quarter, just got away from them. The punt block. Uh, and, and then here's the other aspect of this, and I think this is the aspect that is going to be most frustrating to Michigan fans, is that Jim Harbaugh is a great coach, and yet if you take away what he does best, they have an inability to win the game. It's very similar to Mike Leach. If you take away the passing game, for what, if it's the snow or if it's a pass rush, Leach has an inability to win that game. They can't do it. They've got nowhere else to go. And if you take away bully ball from Harbaugh, they can't win. You know, we see teams all the time, and and maybe we haven't seen Alabama and Clemson because they haven't been forced to do this, but we see teams all the time. One day it's like, hey, we're going to have to run the ball to win. And next day it's, hey, we might have to throw it 50 times to win, and we might have to win with our defense uh, on a given Saturday. And it seems like Michigan – can't do that you know they win a very specific way but if they can't then they're going to get beat and I think that's the frustrating part for Michigan fans in particular in a year in which they had the veteran team probably the more talented team uh, they had the number one defense you've got a quarterback and you go in there and you still lose to Ohio State this time in shocking fashion giving up 62 points we're talking to Joel Klatt. Follow him on Twitter at Joel Klatt. He's calling the Big Ten title game tomorrow in Indianapolis do you agree with me on this? You're also a huge college football fan in addition to the fact that you've got a great gig getting to call college football games. Do you agree with me that divisions make no sense in college football? If you could eliminate them, would you? Um, yesterday. I, yeah. I, you know, two weeks ago. I'm pleased. Divisions um, are maybe one of the things that hurt the sport the most because they're the thing that caused the most inefficiencies and inequalities within schedules across college football even more so than the week scheduling that that the conference that you love puts out there you know with the eight games and then and then playing you know the citadel in november um i think that i mean you've talked about it before it drives Alabama me crazy basically going insane yeah i mean alabama is going to play texas in the next 10 years the same amount of times it plays florida Right, I think that's kind of what I've read. It just yeah. doesn't make any sense. And and the thing about it is, is that you don't need them anymore. It used to be that you had to do it per the NCAA rules in order to have a conference championship game. But as soon as the Big Twelve essentially appealed that, won that decision, that you know they're autonomous for a reason. They can do whatever they want, and a more balanced schedule within your conference would be much better. And another thing you would do is, is if you were still retaining the conference championship game, you would be able to do what the Big 12 is doing, which would be have some value in that championship game with the top two seeds playing versus these ridiculous teams getting into this championship game. And I played on one. So, listen, I'm, I'm preaching the choir here, but Pitt, Utah, Northwestern, as much as I love Pat Fitzgerald and Northwestern, I mean, my goodness, what are we doing with these teams playing for a conference championship? If you had, so you're with me on divisions. Take the next step. If you had to choose eight team playoff, 
but the eight-team playoff requires the elimination of conference title games. Which would you prefer? Well, I I think that a, a, a different tweak, but somewhat of a similar result would happen. If it were up to me, Clay, and if you follow along, you're, you're already kind of halfway there. If you do away with division, you can put the top two seeds in championship games, conference championship games. At that point, what I would do is I would say that you have to win your conference championship game in order to get selected to go to the four-team playoff. At that point, we still have a playoff. We still have conferences, conference championship games, and I think you retain the importance of the regular season. If you just did away with conference championship games and you said eight teams are going to go, I think that you devalue the regular season. A big, you know, I would just point back to last week, the loss for Michigan wouldn't have mattered because they're still in the quote-unquote eight-team playoff. Last year's Iron Bowl would not have mattered because Alabama would still have been in the eight-team playoff. But if you say that you've got to win your conference to go without the divisions and with the top two seeds playing in that championship game, then every game literally means everything. And I think that that would be a much better result. Quite frankly, I am sick and tired of teams that have not won their conference championship game being allowed to compete for the national championship, whether it was Nebraska in 2001, Oklahoma in 03, Alabama winning it against LSU in 11 or last year. The last time that we had a, uh, in college football history, three teams have won the national championship without winning their conference title. It happened in the 30s with Minnesota, and then twice in the last five or six years, uh, seven years, excuse me, with Alabama against LSU and then Alabama last year. Like, do we really think that that's a good thing in college football? Because I would argue that it's not. The Patriots don't get to lose the AFC championship game and still go play in the Super Bowl. I think it's an absurd and stupid standard that we will allow teams to not win their conference and still go compete for the, the biggest prize in the sport. We're talking to Joel Clad at Joel Clad on Twitter. Alabama is 12-0. and I'm sure you've seen this stat, but I want to hit it again and again because it's one of the most remarkable stats I've ever seen. They are the first team since Yale in 1888 to beat every team that they have played through 12 games by 20 or more points. What does Alabama need to do for you, Joel Clatt, to think and say, this is the greatest college football team of our lifetime? Is it enough to simply go 15-0, and or do they need to be dominant in going 15-0? and I think, I think the, the fashion in which they, they play some of these next games matters because, quite frankly, they haven't played a very good football team yet. I think LSU is massively overrated, massively overrated. I think that was proven out last week because Texas A&M is just an okay team, and and you know what they were able to do against LSU in that quote unquote vaunted defense is pretty staggering. Um, you know, so I think it matters against Georgia. I think Georgia's really good. Candidly, if if Alabama plays the way that they played the last two weeks, I think they're going to be in a real dogfight. I mean, a real dogfight, because Georgia's a very good football team that's much better now than they were in the middle of the season. You know, they weren't necessarily healthy when they played LSU. They turned the ball over four times. I don't think that game was a, a, a very good barometer of what Georgia is as a team. DeAndre Swift, man, I tell you what, his health makes them just totally different. He's averaging 8.8 yards He's per carry in the last five games. So 
if if Bama beats them by twenty, yeah, man, uh, like I'm in. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be one of the best teams ever, and then they're going to have a chance to go against a Clemson team that is putting up very similar type of numbers that then uh, uh, to, to what Alabama is, both in margin and, and margin of victory. They've done the same thing in the last seven games, win by twenty or more. So, but those two teams have not really been tested. That's I think that's one of my problems. Like the ACC is garbage this year, just garbage. And quite frankly, the middle of the SEC is is massively overrated right now. The eight teams being ranked by this committee, I just think is wrong. Now you might disagree with me, but that's fine. But I think it matters what the te- what these teams do now as they are tested versus more quality opponents moving forward. So if they just eke their way through and go 15 to 0, I think it's a conversation that we can have. But ultimately, we would say, like, hey, they did this against a pretty weak schedule. Uh, but the bottom line for me is if they win every game by 20 or more, I will consider them the greatest team that I've ever seen. All right, last question for you, and we're talking with Joel Klatt. What do you think you, the four will be come Sunday morning when this is officially released, and how do you think they'll be slotted? Um, I, I think that this, this is going to sound crazy. I think that Georgia wins. <laughs> Um, I don't know why. I just have this feeling. Alabama was tied with the Citadel at half. Three-point game in the Iron Bowl with Auburn at half. You know, they have not been as dominant in the last couple of weeks. I think that can that can eat at you. We haven't seen them play a tight game in the fourth quarter. I think Georgia wins. The committee still puts Alabama in there because this is basically the Alabama Invitational that we call the college football playoff. Um, and I think it's going to be Clemson number one, Notre Dame number two, Georgia number three, and Alabama number four. Interesting. All right, that's Joel Klatt. We'll be watching tomorrow. We'll be listening tomorrow during the Ohio State-Northwestern game. Knock it out, my man, and then enjoy some much-deserved rest in the uh, aftermath of that game. All right, buddy. Have a good one. That's Joel Klatt. We're going to talk with a guy who's a friend of mine, been online for a long time, has a couple million Twitter followers. He's been an ESPN employee for a very long time as well. Today is his final day as an ESPN employee, and guess what? He gets to come on the show with us. He's ESPN's formerly Darren Ravel. He's joining the Action Network. What is he going to do with that new gig? We'll discuss with Darren Ravel, formerly of ESPN, next. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports. Radio. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Sinatra is bringing us back here on the Geico Outkick Studios, where car shopping can be confusing with terms like dealer price, list price, and invoice. True Car shows you what other people paid for the car you want so you can recognize a good price when you're ready to buy a new or used car. Visit TrueCar to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. ESPN, formerly Darren Ravel, he's leaving. This is his final day with ESPN. He's leaving for the Action Network. He can now come on our show. ESPN bans all their employees from coming on my radio show. That's a real story. That's not exaggeration. So he can now come on because he's leaving. We'll find out why he's leaving and why he's excited to do so here momentarily. But first, Ralph Irvin, what you got for me? Well, we go back to Thursday night in the NFL and the start of Week 13 was a good night to be a Cowboy. Prescott extends his arms outward to the crowd, to his teammates. From 3-5, and five, the Dallas Cowboys have announced themselves. 105.3, the fan of the Cowboys radio network with the call as Dallas won their fourth straight. They beat New Orleans 13-10. 
The Cowboys held the Saints scoreless in the first half. First time that's happened in 71 games. New Orleans only gained 176 yards for the game. Online car shopping can be confusing. Not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car. So visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Three games Thursday night in the NBA. The Clippers are the best team in the West. They won in Sacramento. 133-121. They've won four straight games. Toronto, the best team in the NBA right now. They were overtime winners over Golden State, 131-128. Kawhi Leonard with 37 points, eight rebounds as the Raptors won their seventh straight. Kevin Durant scored 51 points in the loss. And the Lakers snapped their two-game losing streak, beating Indiana 104-96. And one game in the top 25, number 21 Buffalo, already a winner today on Friday. 96-77 over Milwaukee. That game played in Belfast, Northern Ireland. Now back to the Geico Outkick the Coverage Studios and Clay Travis. Love to know how that game ended up happening. It's here easy in the Geico Outkick Studios where you can save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. We're joined now by, I was about to say ESPN's Darren Ravel, but today is the last day how excited are you for the new gig, and how did you end up there? First, thanks for coming on, Darren. Yeah, thanks, Clay. Uh, I'm very excited. Um, you know, I've, uh, I've I've had a great run at ESPN. It's totaled about 12 and a half years. Um, I think both times that I was there in my young career um, and coming back after CNBC, uh, it was it was the right time for me to be there. Um, and uh, it was kind of the right time for me to go to the Action Network, um, kind of go to the niche of the niche. Um, it's been an interesting career for me um, because when you think about covering the business of sports and starting that in 2000 and people thinking that wasn't big enough to cover and then you know realizing I could do that every day to 18 years later, understanding that I could actually cover the business of gambling every day um it's it's pretty amazing to see how far you know you can come and yeah it just it just goes to speak to the business of niches in general i mean everyone always goes to under armor and you know how they how they came to the the moisture wicking shirt and and how they built their whole business around that but um you know i think that's kind of where we're at today that people are comfortable with uh, someone who's good in or companies that are good in particular spaces and they can grow to big businesses. And so that's what kind of gave me the confidence with the, the fact that we were the legalization of um, sports gambling in states having the ability to decide um, whether they want to legalize it or not, uh, that this is big enough to cover on a full-time basis. How, there are now eight states that allow sports gambling legally within their borders. There are going to be many more. My prediction is ultimately it's going to be like the lottery, where I think 44 of the 50 states now allow you to buy a lottery ticket. Over the next five to ten years, I think virtually every state in the union is going to allow sports gambling. You're making a big bet on sports gambling yourself. How transformative do you believe sports gambling is going to be for sports fans and also the sports business industry? Well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm, I live in New Jersey right now, uh, which uh, Pennsylvania will be the state that will beat out New Jersey 
but them together by 2022 will will beat out Nevada. Uh, but just looking in this state and being in this state by luck and seeing what it looks like and being in Europe and seeing what that looks like, it's pretty unreal to see what a at least a fully mature state looks like. You know, we don't know what a fully mature U.S. looks like, but what a state looks like. And I'm talking about an old institution like a, a train, you know, like New Jersey Transit. I, I'd love to be the guy who sells sponsorship for New Jersey Transit. I mean, the guy hasn't gotten a call in like seven years, you know, and he, <laughs> and he makes commission. And then all of a sudden, like DraftKings and FanDuel and William Hill and Caesars and 888 and all of them say, oh, my God, this is this is perfect. There's no betting in New York, and there's betting in New Jersey, and the trains are going from New York to New Jersey and back and forth. This is perfect. And I swear to God, the train has FanDuel on the outside of it, William Hill on the sides inside the train, and someone else on the floor and the ceiling. That's just the, the perfect example of, of how nuts it is. And, and, you know, here in New Jersey, there are currently eight mobile apps uh, that, that one can bet from. Um, so to see the maturity, and by the end of, so, so betting here started on June 14th, and by the end of, of, of this year, we're talking about $700 million will will be the total handle. Um so, I mean, that's that's incredible. That, that That's amazing. All right, interesting question here, because a lot of people hear ESPN or they hear Fox or they hear CBS or they hear NBC and they think, oh, those big companies are going to be the leaders in the sports gambling space. You don't necessarily obviously feel that way. What advantages does the Action Network have that a company like ESPN maybe does not have that would lead you to leave ESPN for the Action Network? Okay, that's, that's, that's the perfect question. So they just do gambling, right? And, and, and the way when the Washington Post asked me that question, the way I basically answered it was, you know, if you're an investor in stocks, um, you want to turn on CNBC, and you want to turn on CNBC because that's what they do. Whether you're a sophisticated investor or not, you convince yourself that they are experts in that. That's the only thing they do. That's all they think about. That's all they talk about. ESPN uh, has Doug Kazarian, has David Purdom, who is unreal, um, who I'm now going to have to compete with, um, and the chalk section with with which Chad Millman, who is now my boss at the Action Network, uh, built, um, is, is pretty formidable. But when you look at the Action Network and you look at what they offer, um, what they offer for free and what they offer for pay, um, it clearly, how they were founded, three stat companies rolled into one, it, it clearly makes the better better. Uh, better at betting um, than any other um, organization out there. Now, here's the thing that really what made me comfortable going there. They don't take bets. 
which was important to me because I still want to be a journalist and I don't want to be guided by, by, Hey, you know, do this, uh, because, you know, we're going to make more money on it. So that's one. Um, two, it really is more of a site about data over tout over. These are my picks. Um, and so th- that's what really makes the action that we're, better and, and, and kind of has a greater strength than anyone else out there. If you go, you can see the strength of the data, how it was built, and how it makes the gambler more comfortable with what they're about to bet. Um, so that's really where I felt like we have this influx of, of sports gambling. People are going to want to invest in uh, the back end of, hey, I'm not going to just, you know, read articles. I'm going to want to do a little bit more. And if they do a little bit more, they're going to want to go to the best, uh, in the business. And, uh, and I think and I have confidence that the Action Network is the best. We're talking to, uh, Darren Ravel, formerly of ESPN, now of the Action Network. How hard of a decision was it to make? <sighs> um, it was not a hard decision in the, in, in the sense that um, I, over the last three months, have been in New Jersey. I think it would have been a very hard... I would not have gone to the Action Network. My boss, Chad Millman, went from ESPN to the Action Network um, five months before PASPA was repealed, before sports gambling, before the states could could, uh, uh, decide whether they want sports gambling or not. I would not have made the same decision um, because I, I, I feel like I probably couldn't have uh, risked something like that without sports gambling being a definite in this country. But after mid-May, when it was done, and having seen my sports gambling stories go from, let's say, 20 in 2014 to 40 in 2015 to 60 in 2016. I mean, I'm probably going to do 100 this year. Plus living in New Jersey and seeing it in front of my face, having gone to Monmouth Park, having gone to the Meadowlands, having seen my friends, having seen what they've done on their apps, having seen the shift from daily fantasy to, to betting, as we've talked about, it made it a lot easier because I had this microcosm in New Jersey knowing that it, it, it wasn't like, like, we know this is coming. We know this is coming. I don't know if it's 44, like you say, but I can tell you I'm sure it'll be 15 by the end of 2019. And I'm sure it'll be 20 by the end of 2020. And so... Just figuring that out. There's going to be little details here and there. Sometimes states will think that the geofencing, the idea when you cross a state and if one state has it and one state doesn't, maybe that'll be too much or they'll be worried about the licensing or maybe one state won't make as much money as they thought and they won't do mobile and they'll only do brick and mortar. So some of the numbers and the projections will go down. Um, But for the most part, this is happening. And I consider myself a business journalist who happens to cover sports. And the three hottest businesses right now 
are blockchain, cannabis, and sports betting. And I think the surest bet of those three is sports betting. What's been the reaction on social media to your decision to leave ESPN and go to Action Network? I know, like you, I'm a polarizing figure. Uh, I was surprised as to how much talk it generated. Um, And I think some of it has, I think a lot of it has to do with the move was another step for sports gambling. I think some of it was, you know, the show that you guys do. Um, but you were like you were already you've been all in on sports gambling for five years talking. That's about exactly it. So, that's like, exactly right. I saw this. I saw this coming, and I said this is going to be massive, and I am hopping on the sports gambling train. I was in the Supreme Long Court for when ago. the argument was made. Yeah, and you, you, right. you're you to your credit see the business opportunity here too. I think the smarter people in our industry are starting to get on the train and realize how transformative this is going to be. Right, but this is still in the. Infancy. Very, very early stages. But the fact that <clears throat> the fact that uh, I'm getting on the train and and basically saying I'm going to do I'll still do sports business, but I'm going to do mostly sports gambling. <clears throat> I think took people aback a little bit um, and said, "Whoa, wow!" Um, and I think it allowed some people. I mean, I know that the press kind of used it as a wow, sports gambling. It's 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 this is real, um, so I was surprised at the amount of coverage it got. But I think a lot of it really was this was another signpost that sports gambling is very real. Darren Ravel, I'm excited you can now come on the show. I'm excited to have you on in the uh, weeks and months ahead. Congratulations on the move, and uh, look forward to seeing how things go for you at the Action Network, my man. Thanks, Mike. That's Darren Ravel. Go follow him on Twitter at Darren Ravel. You can react to that interview. When we come back, speaking of sports gambling, I got a bunch of gambling picks for the conference title games to make you all rich this weekend. Eight winners. Get your pen and paper. You're all going to go to Sizzler. This is Outkick the Coverage on Fox Sports Radio. Welcome back, Geico Outkick Studios. A message from Welch's Grape Juice. The Concord Grape is the perfect grape. It needs no added sugar or added flavor. It's also the perfect size and consistency for being smashed, crushed, ground up, and pulverized into delicious, antioxidant-rich juice. The world's toughest antioxidants, Welch's, tough as grapes. And we're brought to you by MyBookie.net. We're in the middle of football season, especially in the NFL, and it's time to get in on the action With mybookie.net, use promo code CLAY, that's C-L-A-Y, when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus, no deposit necessary. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only, void where prohibited. I got a bunch of gambling picks I'm going to give you here momentarily. A couple things I want to hit. One, Darren Ravel, I think that sports gambling story, I have been on this for years, as he said, as he is now hopping on the train, as he said it. Uh, It's going to be transformative the impact that sports gambling is going to have on sports television viewership and everything else that you deal with in the world of sports. Uh, I always say this. This show is rolling. We're up an insane amount over last year's audience, uh, growing faster than any by far, any talk radio show in the country, in the world of sports. When we have guests on, if you enjoy them, whether it's Joel Klatt, whether it's Barry Odom, Missouri football coach, my guy Lance Taylor in the morning, or Darren Ravel, who we just had on. These guys don't get paid by and large. 
They come on with us because they want to reach our audience. If you can reach out to them on social media, makes a difference. If you go grab Darren Ravel right now, at Darren Ravel, say you enjoyed hearing him talk. Joel Klatt, at Joel Klatt, say you enjoyed it. At Coach underscore Odom. If you enjoy the interviews that you hear on this show, the best thing you can do for this show is go to the people who come on as guests and say, hey, thanks for coming going, uh, coming on the show, or comment on something that they've said. Show them how big this audience is by interacting with them when they come on as guests. You guys do a great job of it with me, but I can see the numbers. I know how massive our audience has become in the sports talk radio arena. It mean, makes a big difference. I know for me, speaking as a guest, if I go on a show and immediately a bunch of people react to what I said on that show, I'm more likely to go on that show again. It's the best thing you can do for this show's growth. So reach out to Darren Ravel, reach out to uh, Joel Klatt, reach out to the guys who've been coming on this show uh, all year and years in the past, and uh, it will make a big difference. I'm just telling you, I see it happen all the time. All right, let's cue the music, boys. I have got eight gambling picks for you. We've been winning at a high rate all season long. If you've just written down these picks and played them, you've made a lot of money this season. All I ask is that you... Be kind to me, Santa Clay, and respect the picks. All right, are you ready? Let's see the music, boys. Guess who's back? It's time. A.K.A. Mr. Make It Rain on him. For Clay Travis to make us rich. I'm rich! Including the legendary, famous, well-known, talk of the town, most celebrated. I'd buy that for a dollar. Blood Bank Guaranteed. Utah. Tonight against Washington is the play. Utah, the Utes, Kyle Whittingham, they get it done. They cover the plus five or plus five and a half in the Pac-12 title game. That's tonight. It's happening tonight, Friday night. MTSU, they won 27-3 last week against UAB. They're playing UAB again. You know what's going to happen? They're going to win again. They're a one-point favorite in the Conference USA title game. Memphis, plus three and a half, and I love the over in this game. Both these teams are going to run the football a lot. Neither one has a defense to stop the run. I like Memphis, actually, to win this game outright, and I like the over. I think Memphis is going to break the UCF winning streak. Northwestern at Ohio State. You heard us talking with Joel Klatt earlier. I like Northwestern plus 14 and a half against Ohio State. Texas and Oklahoma, tap the veins, boys and girls. The blood bank guarantee, Texas, Oklahoma, the over is going to hit. The over is going to hit. Put every spare dollar you have on the over in this one. Georgia plus 13 versus Alabama. And Clemson, Pittsburgh, the over 52 in this one. That is eight winners. They're also up on outkick.com if you're on your way to work and you're not able to write them down. Other news, great game between the Saints and the Cowboys last night. We have talked about it a ton. Go download the podcast. Remarkable statistics out there in terms of viewership. The most watched Thursday night football game ever on Fox last night. Huge game. Uh, This is what happens after two years of being focused on politics The NFL and its television partners, CBS, NBC, Fox, ESPN, they've left behind politics, and it turns out everybody loves football. Doesn't matter who you vote for. I'm Clay Travis. We'll be back Monday on OutKick. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. 
No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. All right, game off. We got to pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. I know what you're saying. Flag on the play. You already talked about that, but there's just so much good stuff in this game. In Monopoly Go, you can team up with friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. The more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. Unique stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes. Cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with. Hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges. A ton include their new unique mini games like Digging for Treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go, so get off the bench and go download it now free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on!